Welcome to the Executive's Lounge. This is your podcast host, Christine Fauner. I am bringing you amazing stories from amazing women in leadership from across the globe. Let's get started. All right, we are here today with Tracy Bradshaw. She comes to us from Buffalo, New York. Tracy is the CEO of the Boys and Girls Club Collaborative of Western New York. She's also the co-founder of Women Gathering and Growing with Tea, a women's empowerment business. Tracy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Christine. I've loved our, our last couple of conversations. I can't wait to talk more. Absolutely. And I feel like our conversations are just continuously growing and growing. And that's the beauty of having a community of women to tell our stories in. Speaking of stories, I'd love for you to tell us your story. Thank you for asking. Uh, during COVID, one of my, you know, when during COVID, it was like you were trying to come up with hobbies and projects, right? I tried did you do knitting. sourdough? I did sourdough. I'm not a cook. So my husband was like, please get out of my kitchen. <laughs> um, and I tried knitting. My oldest son came in and said, what is wrong with you? Are you having a stroke? <laughs> So I went back to my books and reading. <laughs> but during that time, one of my friend's daughters had said to me, hey, Trace, I just saw the pictures from when you were my age and you guys casted your busts and you auctioned them off and it was so beautiful. Will you tell me how to do that? Because my group of friends want to do that. It's something they wanted to do post-COVID when people could come back together. And I was like, sure, I'd love to write that down for you. And my history is in out-of-school time. So I write lesson plans a lot, um, especially adventure-based lesson plans and experiential learning. So I just went right to work. I started to write, you know, what she needed, how to do it, how to debrief it. Um, as I got to the end of it, I'm like, oh boy, you can't start with this. <laughs> That's a lot. So I was like, there's probably like 10 other things you need to start with. So I, um, started writing down different activities I would do sequentially to scaffold to get to how you cast your bust with friends. And then as I was doing that, I was connecting with the women that I called T and telling them what I was doing. We were kind of laughing about the stories that went along with all these activities we had done together. And I started writing the stories down. But as I was doing that, it was a very similar question to this. What is your story? And it was really hard. That was really hard work. I do a lot of writing for work that if you told me, Tracy, I need you to get me 20 pages on youth development um, for a grant today, that wouldn't overwhelm me because that's something that I typically would do. But this type of writing is painstaking. So I, this question has like tormented me for a couple of years, you know, that type of writing. It um, was definitely validated though. I sat in on a web, a web show during COVID too with um, Glennon Doyle and Lovey Jones, and both of them had shared how this type of writing is excruciating. So. I think when you, I think when you ask somebody, "Hey, what's your story?" or "Tell me your story," you're it's such a complex, dynamic, layered, experiential attempt yeah. to try to tell somebody who you are. Right. You go blank. You go blank. You're, and you're, you're like trying to start. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times, right? You try to get all, get super, um, super down into it. But when I read this on yours, I kind of did two things. I was like, okay, I'm going to give you my professional story, which is the easiest to give you. 
right? And then I'll give you a little bit about the tea story, but I started out during college um, as an AmeriCorps worker and I got placed in a community action agency in the community where I grew up. Uh, and I was working in a domestic violence program and my whole purpose was to watch the kids while the domestic violence um, women's support group went on. And it was just kind of chaos. And I had come up with a bunch of activities for them to do. And then I started to build out a curriculum for them to do. And then I'll, we ended up with a children's domestic violence support group. And then they ended up hiring me before I finished college. So I didn't finish my AmeriCorps term. Um, and then I started working with teens. So pregnant and parenting teens, um, at-risk youth. I worked with teens in the domestic violence program. And that kind of fell into after-school programming. Then I started with management. I had a small after-school program, one building. Then I had a bigger after-school program with three buildings. Then I had a bigger after-school program with half the, the schools in the county. Um, and then at its height, we had 11 of the 12 school districts serving one in four youth in the count, very rural county in Western New York where I grew up. Um, and we had a team of 42. Here's yeah. a question for you. So yeah. I just have two questions. One is a lot of people, when they think about New York, they think about New York City. Yes. And New York is actually really big. New York City is a tiny little island. Um, but upstate New York, Buffalo, New York, explain to us the difference between rural upstate New York and New York City. Absolutely. So <laughs> this is my favorite question because I don't have the accent. <laughs> I don't think I do, right? So just south of Buffalo, between Buffalo, Rochester, and Syracuse, the foot of New York is the most beautiful space of green space that you'll ever see. It's the rolling hills, the very top of the Appalachian mountain range. So it's still Appalachia. So rural Appalachia, I grew up on a dairy farm. I knew more cows than I knew people. Um, I didn't know that we were poor because we were, we had a lot of resources in terms of, of you know, having a farm and I grew up with all my cousins and, and whatnot, but this is very conservative, uh, different than what you would expect when somebody says New York. And that leads me to my second question, which is you went into a profession and you went into a community, your community, looking at the things that we tend to not talk about, advocating for the people that we tend to not talk about. Tell me about that. Uh, you know, I was always the, okay, so I grew up in a very conservative area, very conservative family, and I never felt like I fit in. So I felt like this anomaly to begin with, and that made advocating for the underdog easy. Um, and community action is based in poverty. It's not based in poverty. It's working with those who are experiencing poverty. And in Allegheny County, the issues, so many issues that arise in that area were a result of generational poverty and being part of Appalachia. So I think that that career was a pathway where I felt I could make a difference and I could change some of those things. I think youth, youth work definitely um, was my passion at the time because I, I knew what it was like to grow up there. 
Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned that you started as an AmeriCorps uh, volunteer and working through college, um, learning as much as you could. And that grew to working in multiple buildings as a manager of multiple people, um, really impacting at, at, at the thousands of, of students uh, level, really such a young age from starting out and then growing it over time. Yeah, I think as an early leader, I followed a lot of examples and had a lot of hiccups and time to, to trip and, and fail and fail forward. But as I grew into my leadership, I recognized that I was a strengths-based leader. So I always was a strengths-based provider. So I always met a family or uh, a kid where they were at and used what they did best to leverage instead of focusing on what was wrong. But when I first started in leadership, I don't think I led that way. It wasn't until there was an epiphany for me that, oh, this is a holistic thing. This is how you treat your team. This is how you grow your team, how you keep your team. Um, and that really came to light with me when I was in a Gallup training and did my strengths, uh, learned what my top five strengths were. And for those of you that, that don't know about strengths-based leadership, Tracy and I had a long conversation about this when we first met. I've spent about 15 years in Gallup Strengths as well. Um, and it's, it is life-changing and transformative for people. Um, be, and Gallup is a, is a company that does a strengths finder assessment. They've done it for about 30 years. Um, and they have millions and millions of data points at this point of the effectiveness of strengths-based leadership. And so when when Tracy's talking about the top five, there's an assessment of the StrengthsFinder assessment that I also use in, in the coaching that I do um, that, that tells you kind of the top five that you lean towards out of the 34 total traits. And it, 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 inspire, it, it, it gives you insight into your leadership practice and then how you interact with others, so. It does, it absolutely does. So from that time forward, I, I learned to be strategic when I put together teams. So I am a, um, I am very, much in strategy and influence, which means on my team, I need people that are executors and relationship builders. Otherwise I have a very lopsided team because of that. So I learned to put teams together that um, were strengths-based. I learned to, when there was an issue, really sit down next to a person and take a look at the strengths that they had. And if it was a hiccup within the strengths, which sometimes it is, activation is one of my strengths. So that means that sometimes I don't want to sit and talk about things. I want to just go, go, go and do. And yeah, I, I talk a lot about, <laughs> is your strength serving you, right? Like, is your strength serving you or is it not serving you? And yeah. sometimes it can, it, we can lose track of the serving us. It certainly can. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I jumped, I, I sent that email too soon, or I jumped yeah. into that activity too quickly. I didn't have all the data points and the details I needed to make a good decision. I'm one of those two. <laughs> okay, <laughs> see, <laughs> then you're like, oh, I should have thought about that. Yeah, and then, or, or those of you that know me, you might get four or five text messages instead of one, because yeah. I realized I sent it before I was ready. I had more information to give <laughs> <I'm a multiple laughs> or to clarify. Let me clarify because something else came up after I sent that. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I'm a multiple texter as well. Um, <laughs> so absolutely. <laughs> but that, that absolutely was life changing for me, for my team. Um, and as I grew in that, my staff, my staff just didn't leave me. Like 
it took something cataclysmic for my staff to to actually leave me. We had to we lost some our major funder um, for my staff to actually disperse at one point. So, um, but that that was because because we had built such a unit and we were so strong and we were so able to sit next to each other and work a problem and not the person and uh, and grow together. We took a lot of things that we did in youth development and applied it to human development. Oh, I love that. What would you say is your biggest roadblock or challenge right now? I think for me, and the, you know, I, I after we talked, I spent some more time thinking about this, but the answer to this question probably always for me is going to be balance. It's always going to be finding the center because I will go to one thing and I will dive deep and forget the others um, and then bop to something else. Um, so as I've aged, it's very important for me to be mindful of that, aware of it and plan for it so that I, um, I can be more intentional about not losing myself or my health or well-being in a project. Absolutely. That's a great, you know, balance comes up a lot as a theme in, in these podcast sessions um, that we, we continuously try to find balance of personal and professional self spiritual and logical self um, looking at how we take care of ourselves versus what we need to do to take care of ourselves. You know, like that balance is always a, a challenge. It feels like. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it definitely has been. Um, I think that never more. So I remember sitting in a room and in Dallas, Texas, I was at a, not a retreat. I was at a conference with a group from work. And while I was there, I remember one of the people that I was very close to at work saying to another one of the, the people, and she brought it to my attention, was that Tracy seems freer here. I really like this part of her. And my the other person I happen to be very close with, lifelong friend, she's like, well, you're actually seeing who she really is here. <laughs> and she had shared that with me. And it was just at such a pivotal moment in my own life, I was getting I was trying to decide whether or not to stay in a, a, a broken relationship um, and lose myself or to go find myself and honor that, right? So I remember sitting in this hotel room and just looking out the window at Dallas, having this really big aha moment of either I'm going to have to let go of myself and focus on this because I can't, it's, it's overtaking me now, or I'm going to have to integrate this and honor the parts of myself and let go of this that's holding me back. So for me, it's always, when I start to feel that balance shift like that, I always think of that conversation that I had with my friend, Carrie. Yeah, you know, I think in leadership, you know, those of us that kind of have that servant leadership space or transformational leadership space, or, you know, we incorporate these whole person um, practices into our leadership practice. Mm -hmm. We try to find ways to, cultivate that culture of whole person in our communities but we also sometimes really struggle with that ourselves um you know in in my phd work i talk about radical care and what radical care is is really caring about the whole person and giving an invitation to that whole person to come to work as the whole person to not have to separate out these moments of life clarities from the work that we 
are doing in places that we do the work in. So, you know, for example, when you're sitting in that hotel room in Dallas and having this, this real life moment of a, a pathway of a crossroads in your personal life, that was when you shined, like people saw you and who you were. And I really think, I really think um, encouraging people to bring that to work in healthy ways, in ways that we, of course, have accountabilities and boundaries and things that we need to be productive, but encouraging people to bring that to work as who they are is a huge transformational opportunity we all have. It is, and when they do that, when that happens, right, it's the perfect mix of bringing yourself to work. We always talked about this with youth workers. Kids, right, have the best bullshitometer ever. They, and they're going to call you on it and they're going to call you on it loudly. So if you're not being real, especially like middle school, high school age, they're going to tell you about that. So what, just what you're saying is, is something I would try to impress so often on the people that I worked with. Um, so if they were having a bad day, sharing that, you know what, today's not the greatest. So maybe not going into why, that's not appropriate, but being human um, yeah. because you're teaching life skills as the life skills that they were teaching was so much more important than the kickball that they were playing. You and I have some parallels in our passion places for teaching others and creating leadership spaces for others to step into. And that's in the experiential learning, outdoor education, adventure-based educational theories, and recognizing that for women, uh, you know, women in leadership, when we utilize some of those theories and practices, we, we help other women experience transformational learning. You know, I'd love for you to tell us about an experience or an adventure for you that went totally sideways, off the rails, out of your comfort zone, and you had to utilize your strengths and leadership skills to help you navigate out of it to tell us about it today. I guess I'll tell you a little bit about losing funding, right? So in nonprofit world, everything is grant funded or donor funded. And when you live in a really, really rural community, having a donor, a large donor is like $2,000 that doesn't support a program. <laughs> so, so federal and state grants are the lifeblood to keep programming open. And our programs were primarily 21st century funded. And in New York state, every five years, 21st century was reset and you'd have to reapply for a grant. So we had it for 13 years. Some of our kids we had since kindergarten and some of our staff we had for all 13 years. They had me for 13 years. Um, and we never, never imagined. I mean, you always know it could, but we never imagined because we were training other 21st century after school programs. We were, um, we were being used at the national level as an example for rural programming. But um, as things sometimes do in New York State, funding, sh funding shifted to the urban areas. And when it shifted to the urban areas, we lost our grant. So that meant 2,500 kids, 42 staff. And I remember being in a store, I was shopping for my wedding dress when I shouldn't have checked my email and I did. <laughs> I checked my email, made a phone call and realized we didn't get the grant. And I remember in that moment thinking, okay, the next six months are gonna be determined by, by how I react to this because we had six months left in the grant. 
um, we can either go down and be upset about this and, and sorrowful, or we can use this as an opportunity to teach kids to, to win with grace and lose with dignity. Um, and so that was our focus for those next six months. And I can tell you that none of the staff left, they, they stayed it out. We were intentional, intentional with each other. We started, we built um, time to reflect with each other. Sharing that message was a time where we came together and sat in a circle. And I just shared from my heart. I let them see me cry um, and shared the news and shared that I was angry and frustrated and didn't, didn't have the, the exact path, but knew, but knew that I could lead them the way they needed to be leaded, led, leaded, <laughs> led. Um, and I can tell you that I did the best work of my entire career in those six months. Um, it was, it was, everybody rose to the highest level that they could do youth work. It was so good. Um, and we ended in such a beautiful place. We ended with a big music festival where kids were able to celebrate. Um, uh, they wore shirts that said, I am after school. Um, so it was really cool. And now I've had many years to reflect. That was like, <laughs> that was eight years ago, nine years ago. So had the time to reflect on that and can say that that was a time when I had to use every single skill. And it really reminded me of, you know, when you're rock climbing and you think you can't reach the next step, the next thing <laughs> and your heart is pounding and your knees are weak and everything is jello. That is what that, that felt like um, in that time. But every time I've also been rock climbing, you find the next, you always find the next handhold. So you always find the next handhold. Yeah. Well, I'm a, I am a product of, of really good youth work. And there was a woman in my life, Mabel Nielsen, who did an upward bound program. So that's where I, I started to learn about adventure-based learning um, and really fell in love with that and her uh, in this beautiful um, ropes course area. She built a foundation and helped me through a really rough time um, and gave me some access to some knowledge with Victor Frankel. Um, and at a very young age, I was in high school, um, and then I got married when I was 19 years old, because that's what you did in rural Western New York. I had three little babies um, back to back. And I remember sitting in our trailer and I was, this was when I was doing AmeriCorps. So all this stuff kind of went along together. And realizing I lived on a dirt, dirt road, dead end road. And I was thinking, is I, I don't, this doesn't feel right. I don't, I am, I was lonely. I didn't know, it just didn't, it wasn't, something was off. And I didn't know if I was the only one because my entire life I had been given this. First you do this, next you do that, then you do this. And if he's an alcoholic, ignore it. If this happens, it's okay. Take care of your kids, focus on that. If you have time, get a job, work some hours, but your focus is to keep a family together. So very lonely, had only two really, really close friends and Oprah. <laughs> Man, she's been life-changing for so many people. All of us really. <laughs> right? So every day, four o'clock, the kids would go play. It was like their time. They knew Oprah was coming on. I would sit down and it was like I was going to church. <laughs> so we, um, my friend Tammy 
would get home at five and she'd always call me right at five and I'd tell her what happened on Oprah that day. <laughs> and her and I had been talking about this feeling that I had, this loneliness, this unrest, this I don't know what it is. And Oprah had brought on um, a woman who talked about some of this stuff and how she was bringing groups of women together just for dinner parties um, and doing life, maker, life makeovers. Now, these were very um, wealthy women that were doing life makeovers. <laughs> so Must like, be nice. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was like, we could at least do dinner with all the women we know. Like, we could bring women that we didn't really know each other, but there were women that I had known from work or maybe I knew from high school or, and she had someone and I'm like, let's just bring them together and see if they feel the same or if we're weird. If nothing else, we will have a potluck and have a bunch of food and it'll be fun. And people will be like, remember that weird thing we did at Tracy's house. <laughs> I invited people, oh, we invited people over. Um, I played an M&M game, you know, where you sort the colors and there's a question associated with each of the colors. And that icebreaker at the time was led into like a three hour long discussion of all of these women around the same age saying, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not getting it. I, I don't feel connected. Something's off. Um, and we need each other. And we need to keep doing this. I need this. Um, and for 20 years, we just kept doing that. We would do adventure, an adventure one month, and we would do a chat another month. And as we got older and kids got a little bit older, we ended up um, doing more game nights and fewer uh, really intentional adventures, but we still do adventures. Like we were just in West Virginia doing um, uh, whitewater rafting together. So there's still some adventure in there, but there's not as, in the beginning, we had a, an agenda, we had guest speakers, we had, it was very organized. Um, and that's what, what ended up in the book. So this group of women created a community for 20 years and we have supported each other through several divorce, divorces, uh, suicide, death, happy things too, like, you know, births. Um, my kids will say that they have a group of moms, they don't have one. Um, we truly created a community, the community we didn't have and felt that we needed. You know, there, there was this, and I don't want to, I mean, we, we can talk about the patriarchy. Okay. <laughs> like, let's talk about the patriarchy. But there, there was, you know, we, we lost a piece of our culture as women when we lost our stories. And okay. we lost our stories because we were put behind or as property to the men in our worlds and and that 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 to me is the essence of the patriarchy breakdown that we're now seeing the building back up by women is is that i love my husband i love my guy friends like it's not about whether or not we like men it's about asking men to to listen and see who we are and we are community driven we are heart driven we are relationship driven and we need connection and we need to recognize too that we lost our stories when we were asked to sit in our homes at the end of dirt roads by ourselves thinking we have to raise our children by ourselves yeah and to be honest i mean here's like the no-brainer that you know after having i have three of my own and my husband has three that i helped raise uh 
you don't raise babies by yourself. You just don't. Um, actually, that's why, why I'm back in New York. I went to South Carolina for a few years. My son said, oh, I'm, my, uh, my wife's pregnant. And I was like, then I'll be home. <laughs> so, that's, you just don't. You don't. You don't. Um, and that creating, I really feel like for women to heal, we have to have community. I just feel like that's how you heal. Um, yeah. and, and where you find that community, it, it doesn't matter. But once you find it, that is the catalyst for how things change because you have a group of women that'll support you through um, and call you on your bullshit um, and call you when you don't want to be called uh, and show up and somebody to call you know when you're like hey does this look normal on my back <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you have to have that in your life and so you know i, I started out talking about that book um a tea has been something in our lives for 20 years and then you know one daughter asked us about this and i was like i'm going to give this to you and it became this love letter to all of our daughters but then outside of that it started to become a love letter to other groups of women of here's here's a pathway that led us to community and we want to give you a space to create that community too and let us help you do that in any way we can so in addition to the book we started a a podcast as well called spill the tea um it's a format where we just get together and chit chat like we're sitting around my friend laura's big kitchen table uh and we invite people to to chat there and then uh in addition to that we're doing our very first retreat so we're super excited about that it's going to be uh on canisius lake in central new york and it is in october so i'm so so excited to do experiential learning with some grown-ups again it's been a minute tracy it's so exciting that 20 years of this work with these amazing women that you've built community with has culminated in a book and your own retreat in october i really hope that a few of the women listening to this podcast sign up and maybe they'll see both of us at your retreat in october there's so many things that we could talk about and keep going on but i really appreciate the time that we've had today thanks so much and i know we're going to talk again soon Thanks for joining us today in the Executives Lounge, where we bust open the doors, slam through the ceilings, and make sure that we have a spot at the table and that we are the lounge. I am Christine Fauner, your executive leadership expert, continuously looking for those executive leaders that seek community, continuous learning, and have a desire to find the next adventure. Join us next time. Join our Facebook group, Roam Your Soul. And you can also find us on Instagram at Roam Your Soul. And don't forget to check out the website for upcoming adventures, www.roamyoursoul.com. And if you're looking for that next executive level leadership coach, you can find me at roamyoursoul.com slash Christine Fawner Coaching.